All right, well, let's pray as we launch into the message this morning. Um, Father, you are good. I thank you for the way that you are at work right here in this family of people here at Hope, the way that you're at work in our lives, the way that lives are changing because of what you are doing and how you're moving um, through the people of this church as we follow you and as we experience your love and give it away to others. I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning that, that anything that you want to stick in our hearts that's being spoken or taught, um, that it would stick and the other stuff would just fall off. Uh, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just checking. I mean, if you want me to keep praying, I can, I can do that too, so... Well, <laughs> thank you. So we are wrapping up our blessed series this week. Um, it's a series we've been in for the last six weeks. And as we wrap up this week, I want to look a little more about the power of our stories, our own stories of following Jesus and, and walking with God and how our stories can help other people that don't yet know God open themselves up to this invitation Jesus extends to the world to follow him to enter into his story. Now, all through this entire series, we've focused on these normal, natural ways to do what Jesus called all of his followers to do, which is to go and tell others about the gospel, the good news of God's love, his grace, his forgiveness, his redemption, to let people know that that is now available to all people. And so if you call yourself a Christian, if you're a Christian, um, then you and I, we have this awesome responsibility and privilege of reaching people who are far from God and telling them about the love of God that we've encountered. And so through this series, we've used this acronym, used the acronym BLESS in each letter. We've taken um, one letter per week here, and it lays out these practical things that we can all do every day, right where we live, in order to bless others and to uh, tell them the good news of God's love. And so just a quick recap, the B in blessed is for begin with prayer. Uh, and this is where we pray for people in our life that don't yet know Jesus. We created these lists, we call them Frank lists, and that stood for friends and relatives and on and on down the list. And we've been praying for those people, uh, most of us, many of us daily. Some of us, like me, forget for a few days, so then we pick it up again. Um, but that was the B. The next week we looked at L for listen um, and looked at how we need to be people who are truly interested in the lives of other people's, their, their struggles, their challenges, their questions, their wonderings, their opinions, um, the people in our life, uh, where we live, where we work. And it's crucial for us, instead of speaking all the time and talking or trying to convince, for us to listen to their stories and to develop relationships by just honestly caring. Um, the E, the next week we looked at eating together. It's one of my favorites, right? We get to eat with other people. That's a part of inviting people and building relationships with them. We get to eat with them. We get to listen to their stories. We share a meal. And it's a great way for us to build relationships with other people. In fact, it's, it's how Jesus did it as well. Uh, the next week we looked at the first S, which was for... I mean, come on, it's on the screen. It's, the S was for... Ah, uh, serve, you guys are really good, right? And just looked at 
meeting other people's needs in very practical, uh, impactful ways. And then last week we did part one of two on the second S in BLESS, um, which stands for... Yes, and we want to share the story of Jesus and the story of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so I want to talk a bit more about that today, because I don't think I'd be going out on a limb to say that most of us, if we look at these five practices in BLESS, most of us, this last one is probably the hardest one, right? Sharing your story. But Romans chapter 10 points out one of the reasons it's crucial for us to share our stories, Verse 14 of Romans 10 says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And so if people are going to become followers of Jesus, this scripture points out the obvious truth that at some point, someone is going to need to Tell them. And that someone just might be you. It just might be you. And now I know that sometimes we tend to think, and I know I go this way sometimes, like, hey, well, listen, if I do a good enough job of, you know, cleaning up my act and living right, if I'm basically a kind and helpful person, or I wear my Christian t shirt, or I have the Jesus fish on my car, and I don't flip people off in traffic because that would make a bad connection, but uh, if I do all that, then I don't really have to talk to anybody about God. I mean, talking about God, isn't, isn't that like a pastor's job, not mine, right? And I get it. I get that perception. I get that thought. And I think sometimes we land in that place because we're like, well, maybe, maybe I just don't know enough about the Bible to talk about Jesus to other people, to share my story. And maybe I just, you know, I'm, I'm just not really good with words. I'm very introverted. I'm very shy. Um, or, or, you know, I just don't want people to be offended. I don't want to come across like some fanatic who gets in people's faces about God all the time. And, and hey, listen, that's understandable. And we don't want to get in people's faces. And we don't want to be pushy with folks. Um, that's what this whole series has been about, blessing people. And the truth is, if we are blessing people, if we're beginning with prayer, if we're, if we're listening to folks, if we're eating with them, if we're serving people in, in our everyday lives where we live, where we work, um, if we do those things, there will be times when we will get an opportunity to share the story of God, the story of Jesus. And there will be times where it will be possible for you to share your story. And so, yes, we totally want to be wise. We want to be sensitive in what we say, how we say what we say. But friends, when we get the chance, when we get the chance, we want to take that chance and not let it pass by. Because inviting people um, and telling other people your story, like telling other people your story, it might be just the best way to invite them to follow Jesus. Like telling them your story, that might be the best way to invite them to consider following Jesus. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells it to us this way. says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So Peter's telling us here, listen, be ready to tell your story at any time. And remember to do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be a jerk about it, right? 
But be ready to tell your story. And I think he's reminding us of this because there is power in telling your story. There is power in story and there's power in telling your story. In fact, let me give you a real quick um, outline for telling your story. Um, And I wasn't even going to include this, but I thought right before the service to put it in here. So here's a real simple way. You go, how do I tell my story? Real simple outline to craft how you would tell your story is this. Before, during, and after, right? So before... You turned your life over to Jesus. You can talk about what that looked like or maybe some of the questions you had or maybe some of the things you were going through. Uh, And then you talk the next part about during. Like, you know, what happened in your life that brought you to the point of deciding to become a follower of Jesus? What did that during piece look like? And then be sure to talk at least a little bit about the after, right? Like, like, okay, what now? Um, And remember when you do this, especially the after part, Remember to be real, to be honest. Like, don't try to sell people that, you know, hey, life is just all unicorns and lollipops once we become Christians, okay? Um, that's not the case. You can be real that, hey, things aren't always wonderful and perfect. Like, coming to Jesus didn't make my life absolutely perfect, but the good news is this, that now I know I'm never alone, right? That God is always with us. And so the before, during, and after can be a real easy way to build an outline uh, just in your head about how to share your story with people. And again, I know this sharing our story piece is the hardest one, but I, again, I, just, I think it's so crucial that we are able to tell our story, even though it feels a little scary for some of us. And one of the reasons I think it feels scary for me as well sometimes, is that we can feel really inadequate. Like, I'm not going to be too sure what I'm going to say. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, Jim did a great job uh, last week, and, and he fleshed out the story of the blind man that Jesus healed in John chapter 9. And if you were here or you remember that story, uh, what happens, basically it looks like Jesus heals him, and then he kind of vanishes. Jesus sort of takes off, and this blind guy then gets in trouble from the religious leaders because he got healed on the Sabbath. Like, okay. Uh, So they interrogate him. They accuse him of lying. Then they try to get him to say that Jesus is a sinner. And I love the verse. We'll pick it up right there. That verse in the story, John chapter 9, verse 25. This is what the now healed blind man says. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind but now I see. <laughs> and, and I love just those lines of his story right there. And, and there's two things that I kind of pull out of that. Uh, one is that he says, I don't know. And you know, one of the things I think that you and I normally ner- just kind of naturally would get nervous about when it comes to telling our story to someone else is, well, okay, let's say I tell my story or I talk about Jesus, but the, what, what if they ask a question and I don't know the answer? Like, what if they ask me something? I don't know what to say. I don't want to look like an idiot, right? Okay, that's normal. That's that's understandable. But here's the deal. Uh, We're going to fix this, solve this problem for us once and for all right here. If someone asks you a question and you don't know how to answer, let's just take it from the blind man here who was healed. Here is what you say. Repeat after me. I don't know. Was that hard? That was not so hard, right? We just say, ah. I don't know, right? You could even say, you know what, that's a great question, but honestly, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And the other thing that I love about what the blind man now healed says, he goes, well, here's what I do know. (laughs) I once was blind, but now I see. 
And real quick, right there, he just tells his story. And I think it's hard for people to argue with your story, even though the Pharisees tried. I mean, people don't really argue with your story. You can try to put all sorts of facts or theology out there for folks. Um, You can try to have all the apologetics and all the arguments out there, and it's fine. It's a good thing to learn those. But to lean on that's probably not a great idea. It's probably not even that helpful. So what's appropriate is you can say, you know what, I don't know. Or you just tell your story, right? You just tell your story. And, you know, I wonder if that's one of the reasons that we read the stories of some of the people in the Bible. Like, we read stories like that one, or we read stories like the one I'm going to read in a moment here. And I think in reading these stories in Scripture and talking to each other and hearing each other's stories, I think it encourages us and it reminds us that there is power in hearing someone's story. There's power in it. Look at the lives that Jesus touched when he walked the earth. He touched so many lives, and every life that he touched, their story was drastically changed. Drastically changed, and many times by just one encounter with Jesus, their story went in a whole different direction. One of the stories that I think one of my favorite stories that I look at and go, wow, I don't know if any story was more dramatically changed in the Bible than this one. We could debate it later, but this is one that I hold up and go, this might be kind of like the story that I think where somebody's life was most radically altered by their encounter with Jesus. And it happens with an unnamed leper that we meet in Matthew chapter eight. We'll put it up on the screen here. It's four verses. Begins this way, when Jesus came down from a hill, great crowds followed him. Then a man with a skin disease came to Jesus, and this was leprosy. The man bowed before him and said, Lord, you can heal me if you will. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I will be healed. And immediately the man was healed from his disease. Then Jesus said to him, Don't tell anyone about this, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for people who are made well. This will show the people what I have done. And that's it. That's it. Just four quick verses give us this small window, probably took just a few minutes of this guy's life, but it changed his life, his story forever. Now, I read stories like this and lots of other stories in the Bible, and I just get really curious about the characters that we meet. You know, people we just briefly see in Scripture. Some of them, like this guy, we don't even get a name. And with stories like this one especially, I kind of wonder, you know, okay, what else happened here? Like, what else was going on? Like, well, how did this guy's story get to this place? Um, What was his name? Did he have a family? How long had he been a leper? What else? I mean, come on, I want more stories, right? I want to know more to the story. It's like the old Paul Harvey thing. We want to know the rest of the story. Miss Paul Harvey, yeah? But from this scripture, we don't get a lot, right? We don't get the rest of the story, just that he had a disease. He decided he was going to cry out to Jesus. But for the rest of the story, nope. Matthew gives us no name, no history, no description, And I'm just super curious, probably just by nature. I'm very, very curious. And I get curious about the story behind the story. Like, just the snapshot of this person's life is great, but I want to know 
more. Like, this guy was a real person with a real story. What else happened? You know, um, I think a lot of times we wonder uh, about heaven. We wonder, like, ah, hey, what's it going to be like? Like, what are we going to do in heaven? Um, by the way, we're not just going to be singing songs all the time, but that's a whole other sermon, whole other series. Um, there's some clues in Scripture what it looks like. There's some great, wonderful things of what heaven will be like. But there's some things that we just don't know. It's kind of wide open. And so I have a good imagination, I like to think. And I have some ideas. So what I'm about to suggest here, this is not in Scripture. This is something that I kind of hope happens when we have eternity in heaven, okay? Okay? All right. Just making sure the heresy police don't come after me. Okay. Um, so what I hope is, well, I love stories, right? And I love hearing stories around a campfire. So I hope that we get to hear all these characters from the Bible, we get to hear them tell the rest of the story around, you know, like campfires. You know what I mean? You know, you know story time around the campfire. And, and not just the stories from people in the Bible, but, you know, other heroes of the faith. And I just have this imaginary picture that there are just these campfires spread everywhere, and each campfire is hosted by... You know, like Moses has his campfire over there, probably a bonfire, right? He's telling all these other stories about what happened. And over there, you got King David, and he's got a bunch of people listening to all the stories that didn't get included in the Bible. And, and um, one of the stories that I really want to gather to hear, um, I hope uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, has a campfire. Couldn't, wouldn't that be amazing, right? Tell us about all the stuff of Jesus growing up. Come on, Mary, tell some stories. Who, what, what characters would you want to hear? Just go ahead and shout some out. Samson, Samson that's going to be a good story fire. Job, Lydia. Job, Lydia. Esther, yes. Noah. Elisha. Abraham. Yeah, there's so many great stories. I want to hear the disciples, like, tell on each other some more, right? <laughs> There has to be some stories with a bunch of, you know, rough fishermen, the sons of thunder, right? Yeah, I want to hear, I want to hear those stories. Um, so there you go. That's my hope that in heaven there'll be story time around campfires, which brings me back to the leper. I want to sit around his campfire. I want to know this guy's fuller story. And, and I think it was maybe 20 years or so ago that... Um, I read something that Max Lucado wrote that sparked my imagination around this idea with the unnamed leper. And what I want to do is flesh that out a bit here. I want to wonder out loud about the story of this man, this leper who met Jesus, and then his life, his story was radically changed forever. And so inspired by Lucado, I want us to step into this leper's story this morning and imagine that maybe his story sounded something like this. For five years, no one touched me, not one. Not my wife, not my child, not my friends, no one touched me. Oh, they, they saw me, they, they spoke to me. I sensed love in their voices. I saw concern in their eyes, but I didn't feel their touch. There was no touch. What's common for you, I coveted. Handshakes. Warm embraces. A tap on the shoulder to get my attention. A kiss on the lips to steal a heart. 
But such moments were taken from my world. No one touched me. <laughs> I mean, nobody even like bumped into me. What I would have given to be bumped into, to be, to be caught in a crowd, for my shoulder to even brush against another's. But for five years, it has not happened. How could it? <laughs> I, I was not allowed on the streets. Even the rabbis kept their distance from me. I wasn't permitted in my own village synagogue, not even welcome in my own home. I was untouchable. I was a leper, and no one touched me until today. I just want to pause in the story for a moment and talk about leprosy in the New Testament. In those days, it was the most dreaded disease. Um, the condition leprosy rendered the body uh, a mass of ulcers and decay. Fingers would kind of curl up and gnarl. Blotches of skin would discolor and stink. Certain types of leprosy would, learn to, would lead to... Um, Nerve endings being numbed and then loss of fingers or toes, even a whole foot or hand. Um, one guy said it really well. He said, leprosy was death by inches. But the social consequences were awful as well. The physical, that was pretty bad. But because they were considered contagious, the leper was quarantined and banished to a leper colony. And so when we see a leper in scripture, we need to think about this symbolic um, version of an outcast, the ultimate outcast. They were infected by a condition that he did not seek, um, rejected by those that he knew, avoided by those he did not know, and the leper was then condemned to a future that he could not bear. And I have to think that in the mind of every Leper, every outcast, must have been the day. <laughs> that day where they knew they were forced to face the truth that they had this disease, and from that moment on, their life would never, ever be the same. One year <laughs> during harvest, my grip on the plow seemed really weak. The Tips of my fingers numbed, first one finger and then another. Within a short time, I could grip my tools, but I could scarcely feel them. And then by the end of the season, I, I felt nothing at all. The hand may as well have belonged to someone else. The feeling was gone. I said nothing to my wife, but I, I know she suspected something. How could she not? I carried my hand against my body like a wounded bird. It was one afternoon. I plunged my hands into a basin of water. I was going to wash my face, and I looked down, and the water started to turn red, and my finger was, was bleeding, was bleeding, like, freely. I didn't even know that I was wounded. I wondered, how, how did I cut myself? Was it a knife? Did my hand slide across the edge of metal? I didn't, I didn't feel anything. Then I heard, It's on, it's on your clothes, too, my wife said softly. I didn't realize that she was behind me. And before looking at her, I looked down at the crimson spots on my robe. And for the longest time, I just stood over the basin, staring at my hand, 
And somehow I knew. In this moment, my life was being forever altered. Shall I go with you to the priest? She asked. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I'll, um, I'll go alone. I turned and looked into her moist eyes, and standing next to her was our three-year-old daughter. Squatting down, I gazed into her face. I stroked her cheek, saying nothing. What could I say? I stood again and looked at my wife. She touched my shoulder, and with my good hand, I touched hers. It would be our final touch. Five years have passed, and no one has touched me since, until, until today. But on that day, back then, the priest that I went to see, he didn't touch me. No, no, he looked at my hand now wrapped in a rag. He looked at my face now shrouded in sorrow. I never faulted him for what he said. He was only doing as he was instructed. He covered his mouth and extended his hand palm forward. You are unclean, he told me. And with that one pronouncement, I lost my family, my farm, my future, my friends. I didn't know what to do. I hadn't thought it through to this point. I couldn't even go back home, I realized. Now I, I had to leave. I had to leave the village right now. But I hadn't brought anything with me. I stumbled along toward the city gates. And thankfully, my wife, uh, she knew this was coming. And she was there. She was there. She met me at the gates with a sack of clothing, with a little bit of bread that we had. She gave me some coins. Um, but she couldn't even speak. And friends had already heard quickly. The news had spread. The friends heard and they had started to gather. And what I saw in their eyes was a precursor to what I've seen in every eye since. Fearful pity. As I stepped out, they stepped back. Their horror of my disease was greater than their concern for my heart. So they and everyone else since then stepped back. We hear details of what it would have been like similar to this. It just seems um, like banishing a leper was, was harsh and unnecessary. We know better today, but the truth is ancient people aren't the only ones to isolate their wounded, are they? See, maybe nowadays we don't build, you know, leper colonies or cover our mouths in the presence of people who have obvious diseases. But we certainly build walls. <laughs> we duck our eyes. We avoid the glance. Because a person doesn't have to have leprosy to feel quarantined, to feel left out, to feel alone. Uh, I know from personal experience that those of us who have gone through divorce, we know that feeling. Those of us who are outside the right social circles, they know. So do the handicapped. The unemployed, they've felt this, as are those who are less educated. Some people still sh um, shun unmarried moms. You know, we, we tend to keep our distance from the depressed. We avoid the terminally ill. 
many cities, we have certain neighborhoods for immigrants. Uh, We have nursing homes for the elderly. We have special schools for the developmentally delayed or disabled. We have centers for the addicted. We have prisons for the criminals. But if we get real honest, it's not just them, not just those groups of people. Because all of us get wounded. All of us withdraw. All of us, at some point in our life, we withdraw, we hide, we've been hurt. So in one way or another, we, we, we just isolate rather than risking being hurt again. So I think in one way or another, if we are all truly honest, there's a way that any of us could relate to the leper. people who saw me, um, they were repulsed by me. Five years of leprosy had left my hands gnarled. (laughs) Tips of my fingers were missing, as were portions of an ear, part of my nose. At the sight of me, fathers grabbed their children, mothers covered their faces, the children pointed and stared. See, the rags on my body couldn't hide my sores. Nor, nor could the wrap on my face hide the rage in my eyes. I didn't even try to hide it. You see, I had been taught and told, and I wrongly believed this lie, that the sickness that I had was somehow God's will, that that he did this. It was his sovereignty that caused this. And so with that lie embedded in my heart, how many nights... How many nights did I shake my crippled fist at the silent sky? What did I do to deserve this? Never an answer. (laughs) I hear other people talk. Some people thought, well, then I sinned. That's why this happened. Others would say, no, no, no. His parents sinned. I don't know. All I know is that I grew so tired of it all, sleeping in the colony and smelling the stench. I grew so tired of the stupid bell that I was required to wear around my neck to warn people of my presence. (laughs) Like I needed a bell. One glance and the announcements began, unclean, unclean, unclean. But several weeks ago, I dared to walk the road to my village. I had no intent on entering. Heaven only knows. I just wanted to look again upon my fields. I wanted to gaze again upon my home and and perchance see the face of my wife. I, I didn't see her. But I saw some children that were playing in the pasture. And I went and hid behind a tree. And I watched them scamper and run. It had been so long since I'd seen children playing and heard the sound I had I'd forgotten the sheer joy. I mean, their faces were so joyful. Their laughter was so contagious that for a moment, just for a moment, I was no longer a leper. I was a, I was a farmer. I was a father. I was a man. Infused by their happiness, I kind of lost where I was and who I was. And I stepped out from behind the tree. I straightened my back. I breathed deeply. And then, and then they saw me. Before I could retreat, they saw me and they, 
screamed and they scattered and ran. One lingered, though. One lingered behind all the others. One paused, looked in my direction, and I don't know. I can't really say for sure, but I think, I really think that she was my daughter. And I don't know, I really can't say for sure. But I think she was looking for her father. Her look, that look of that child. It's, made, it's what made me take the step that I took today. Of course, what I did was reckless. Of course, it was risky. But I figured, what do I have to lose? I thought, you know, Jesus calls himself God's son. Okay, he's either going to hear my complaint and kill me, or he will accept my demands and heal me. Those were my thoughts. I, honestly, I came to Jesus as a defiant man. I wasn't moved by some great faith. It was more of a desperate anger. Again, I had figured, well, if God has wrought this calamity on my body, he will either fix it or end it. But then, then I saw him. And when I saw him, I was changed. You must remember, I'm a farmer, not a, not a poet. So I cannot find the words to describe what it is that I saw when I saw his face. All I can say is that the Judean mornings are sometimes so fresh and the sunrise is so glorious that to look at them is to forget the heat of the day before and the hurt of times past. When I looked at his face, I saw a Judean morning. Before, before he even spoke, I knew that he cared. Somehow I knew that he hated this disease as much as, no, no, he hated it more than I hate it. My rage became trust. My anger became hope. And so I hid behind a rock and I watched him descend this hill. There were throngs of people. It was like a parade. I hadn't planned on this. They were following him. They were in front of him. And so I just hid and waited until he was paces from me. And then I stepped out. Master! He stopped. <laughs> he looked my direction, as did dozens of others. A flood of fear swept across the crowd. Arms flew in front of faces. Children ducked behind parents. Unclean, someone shouted. I mean, I don't blame him. I was a huddled mass of death. But I scarcely heard them. <laughs> I scarcely saw them. I mean, their panic, I'd seen that a, a thousand times. His compassion, however, I'd never beheld. Everyone stepped back, except for him. He stepped toward, toward me. Five years ago, my wife stepped toward me. She was the last to do so, but now he did. I couldn't even move. I, I just spoke, Lord, you can, you can heal me if you will. And had he healed me with a spoken word, I would have been thrilled. 
Had he just cured me by speaking a prayer over me, I would have rejoiced. But Jesus wasn't just satisfied with speaking to me. He drew near me. He touched me. The first time in five years, he touched me. I will. His words were as tender as his touch. Be healed. Energy flooded my body like water through a furrowed field. In an instant, in a moment, I felt warmth where there had been numbness. I felt strength where there had been atrophy. My back straightened and my head lifted. And where I had been slumped over eye level with his belt, I now stood eye level with his face, his smiling face. He cupped his hands on my cheeks and drew me so near that I could feel the warmth of his breath and see the wetness in his eyes. He said, don't don't tell anyone about this, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded for the people who have been made well. This will show the people what I have done. And so that's where I'm going. <laughs> I will show myself to my priest and I will embrace him. And I will show myself to my wife and I will embrace her. And I will pick up my daughter and I will embrace her. And I will never forget the one who dared to touch me, to change my story. He could have just spoken to me, but he wanted to do more than just heal my body. He wanted to heal my heart. He wanted to heal my story. And friends, there is power in story, isn't there? There's so much power. And the truth is, I bet that guy's story is even better than what we just imagined right there. So I'll be looking for his campfire one day or however that works. But not just his, not just the people we find in the Bible. I want to sit around some of my other heroes' campfires and hear all that I haven't gotten to hear yet. I want to, hit, I want to sit around Mark Sullivan's campfire. That's going to be a good one. You guys know Mark. It's going to be a good one. Some of you are going to want to find um, Heidi, my wife's campfire. She came to follow Jesus later in life, age 34, out of a pretty horrendous situation. Her, her story is incredible. And so many of you in this room, I can't wait to hear, I can't wait to hear your story either. Well, I mean, I guess if can't wait means we're dead before I hear them, then maybe, maybe not. <laughs> can't wait. But, but those stories, friends, um, are powerful. And, and while I'm excited to sit around, you know, if it's campfires or whatever, and hear stories one day in heaven, here's the truth. Your story and mine are stories that Jesus means for us not to just tell then, but to tell today. Your story is a huge part of what God uses in order to invite other people into relationship with Jesus. So will you tell your story to somebody that doesn't yet know Jesus? Listen, I know it can be scary for sure, but think of the upside. What if you share your story and that's the thing that God uses to bring someone to follow Jesus? 
to, to draw their heart one step closer to Jesus after they hear, hear your story? What if that's what God uses? See, your story might be the turning point for someone who will cross from death into life. Your story might, might be the beginning of blind eyes that see, of hearts that get healed, of lives that get changed. And I just love the fact that God uses our stories to invite others into eternal life. I think that's amazing. So whether your story is as dramatic as the lepers or as Mark or Heidi or some of the other folks you know, maybe you think, oh, my story is not that, that dramatic, not that interesting. Again, friends, all we need to remember is that we were once blind, but now we see. And that is what God uses to move normal, everyday people towards him, to following Jesus, to beginning a relationship with God. And I mentioned earlier in worship that, that in our pre-service prayer, um, there was a word for us today, and it was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And it was specifically even about telling your story to others. Do not be afraid. Go with boldness into those conversations. Worship team, will you come? wrapping up this series and next we're going to move into a series called The Heart of Hope which begins next week and, and in that I'm hoping that we do have a chance to hear some of the stories of people from our community and what God has done in their life, in their heart. But when we think about this final S in the blessed series here I want to just have a few questions. Um, first is this who will you tell your story to this week? Who can you tell your story to? Just Maybe it's somebody from the list of folks that some of us have been praying for. Maybe somebody else is popping into your mind. Who will you tell your story to this week? And again, an invitation to Alpha can be a life changer for someone. And we'll be hearing stories after Alpha. I'm confident of people who moved from death to life to following Jesus. Um, and next Sunday, again, we're designing the whole service to be a Sunday where you can bring someone that doesn't know Jesus. You can invite your friend. We promise we won't embarrass you too much. <laughs> but we're going to move toward the heart of what God has called our church to. And it'll be a great Sunday to bring people with you. But the question that I want to send us with, and this is for all of us, whether you follow Jesus in your life or not, question is this, how is it that I need to invite Jesus into my story today? How is it that I need to invite Jesus into my story today? Um, maybe like the leper, you know what it's like to feel cast out alone. Maybe like the leper, you are angry. <laughs> maybe you have had something happen in your life that Someone told you, well, God controls everything. God's will is that this happened. God took your spouse. God took your baby. God, no, he didn't. Those lies will harden hearts. Maybe inviting Jesus into your story is trusting that he'll help you to understand or to work some of that out and to lean into him and to let go of some of that anger and rage. However it is, 
as we sing this next song, and as you go through your week, I want all of us to carry that question, how is it that I need to invite Jesus into my story today? Jim, will you lead us?